Lord, we just want to come before you and we want to thank you for this evening. We thank you for the people that have visited today, Lord, and that the people who raised their hands, Lord, we want to be asked that you allow them to, to contact us so we can follow up on, on that and, and, and help them get started and help us as we look at the word tonight and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I don't know how far we're going to get tonight because there's two very short psalms, so we'll see. Maybe we can get two done tonight. Psalms 47, Psalm 47. Right there. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. For the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved, Selah. God is gone up with a shout, the Lord with the shout of the trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing ye praises with understanding. God reigns over the heathen, he sits upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the earth are gathered together, even the people of God, of Abraham of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong unto the Lord he is greatly exalted it's a powerful psalm when you think about it it's a short one but it's got a lot of power in it clap your hands O ye people shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph that's an excitement God is wanting us to be excited about him and I love being excited about God I love this I love Resurrection Sunday because it is the glory of God. He was victorious over death. He was victorious over sin. And there's great victory. You know, it is, it is funny when I start getting into, the, into God's word and I get excited. Every once in a while, like I don't do it as much as I used to. When I first got married, I used to do it a lot and with the kids, get excited and share what I was learning, you know, learning from my studies. And, and they would look at me as if I was absolutely crazy sometimes. And I'd have to back off and say, okay, I've got to find somebody who's going to get excited as I am about it. Uh, but, you know, when we're in God's word, we need to get excited because God is doing great things in our life and he's going to do great things and his promises are great. You know, I look forward to the day that I get to go to heaven. I'm not going to do anything to accelerate it, but I am looking forward to the day that I get to leave this body and this world and be in front of my Savior. Me too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Forever, forever. Just change this world forever for the heavenly. You know, and I'm really now where Paul is, where Paul told them that he's in a quandary as whether he wants to stay and minister to them, which is to their benefit, or go home. And I'm in that same place. You know, as long as God can use me to benefit others, then I want to stay here on earth. But we, but we look at this, this clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God. This word for shout is that war cry. If you've ever watched the old movies where, where, these, where these guys would charge at each other with the swords and you'd hear this you know, yelling and screaming, you know, supposedly, I guess, to scare the other people. I'm not sure why they yelled and screamed, but, you know, but they yell and scream as they charge at each other. This is what it's talking about, a loud cry that's going to get people's attention. It is amazing sometimes when, when, we, when I think about how people worship God, you know, and they don't want to, they want to look like, well, I've got to sit here and not make, not make a, look like I'm too fanatical. 
you know, God doesn't like fanatics. <laughs> Not according to God's word. He loves fanatics. We lived in Baltimore pretty close when we first moved there to the uh, stadium where they played the football games. And we lived very close to a college game, college as well. Every Saturday, when it was a home game, you would hear the people cheering for their team, and we were like five miles from the stadium. And you would hear, now when the pro team played, man, you really heard, and it was further away than the college field. We will get excited about watching sports and everything, and yet for Christ, we're afraid to look like some kind of nutter fanatic. The second verse, for the king, uh, for the Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. And this terrible doesn't mean bad. This means that he is held in awe. You know, he is, he is a old English terrible. You know, that's the idea that it is very awesome when you look at it. And he's the king of all the earth. Whether they want to accept him or not, he's still king. And this is why when you witness to people, and I've shared this, when you witness to people, you use God's word. Whether they believe it or not, it doesn't matter. Because it is still true. When I witness to somebody, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If they're going to tell me, well, I don't believe that, I have no problem with that. God says his word does not return void. I'm going to use God's word to witness to them. Because it is the power. And that's why I opted this morning to read large chunks of, the, of this resurrection story and say that because God's word is the power. Yeah. How many times have you ever talked to somebody and go, oh, you can't believe God's word. There's so many contradictions in it. Yeah. yeah. What you want to do when they say there's a contradiction is challenge them to give you one. Show me one. And their answer is always, well, everybody says there's contradiction. I don't care what others say. You tell me one contradiction. The thing is, there's no contradictions in his word. There's a, about four ones that they'll come up with that are apparent contradictions. And then when you explain it to them, it's, it's easily explained. But you, you, there's always this idea of there's lots of, you know, everybody says there's lots of them. Well, have you ever read any of them to look at it? On the back of the bulletin today, I gave you the story of uh, uh, Dr. Greenleaf, the professor of evidentiary law. And he was an ardent critic of Christianity. And his students came up to him, a couple of his students came up that were Christian, they go, Dr. Greenleaf, would you please apply your rules of evidence to the biblical claims of the resurrection and tell us what you think? He became a Christian. <laughs> because he looked at it and he said, this case is so foolproof that it has to be true. And this is the thing, if you challenge somebody, all the great apologists of our day started out as a hard critics of the, God, of the word of God, and they were challenged by somebody. Get into the word and really prove that it's wrong. And every time they've gone in to prove that the Bible is wrong, they come away absolutely convinced that it's right. And 
We have no, I want to make this a point. We have no fear of challenging people to go in and check it out. There's no fear in that because we know that when they check it out, they'll have to come out with the truth. The truth will always win in the long run. And this is important for us to have that confidence. And set you free. Huh? And set you free. And set you free when you get the truth. But that's what we want. We want people to challenge because it's in there. The truth is there. And, you know, and that's why I love the way God put together the New Testament story of the resurrection because everything about it made an ironclad case that he was resurrected. Uh, you know, the very fact that they would have sealed that tomb and said, we're going to guard this tomb to make sure he doesn't leave. If they had not done that, they would have been better off because when Jesus' body was resurrected, they would have said, well, the disciples stole it. We don't know where it's at. But the fact that they sealed it, put a guard in front of it, gave the absolute proof that the body was there and all of a sudden disappeared. You know, amazing when you think about all that God did with, with this and how his enemies were the ones that put the proof of his resurrection in its place. You know, it's amazing. Just on, her, just, just on that one question, wasn't the, well, wouldn't it be the very first part God created man and woman to be one? Well, that's part of it, but Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy very specifically yeah, yeah. says that it's, it's an abomination for a man yeah, to lie yeah. with, the, yeah. as with, uh, with man as with a woman. Yeah. And then it goes, not only does it talk, the Bible talk about homosexuality, it also forbids bestiality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. No animal. And it, you know, in, you know, forbids incest. I mean, it, it really is very clear that God was saying, my people are going to live, live differently from the world. Because at that, before, the, before those rules, <laughs> there was no rules for bestiality and homosexuality and incest. Uh, they did not, did not divide that at all, uh, especially in the lands that they were going. They were really bad. Uh, so it's very clear when God says this, and Paul talks about it, homosexuality being wrong. You know, uh, and so it's very important for us to understand that God has a standard for us. But then, like you always say, well, everybody does it. Doesn't matter. Everybody does it. That's not within the Bible. Because. Well, she called me, told me, everyone. But we look at this, I mean, this idea that it's everybody does it is becoming yeah. the big yeah, standard yeah. because there's no, no standards for them. And, they, and then you're going to say the easiest thing is, is in the days of Noah, everybody did wrong in their, in, in, mm-hmm. in, in, and did what was right yeah. in their side, and, and God judged them. We are almost, we are so close to the days of Noah, it's not funny. Because this world is throwing away truth. This world is throwing away morality. This world is casting aside all that's good and calling it bad and calling bad good. How much, clo- how much further can we go before God says, I've had enough and takes us home? I don't know. But we're getting close. Mm. We are getting close to that time when God is just going to say, okay, my people, it's time to take you away while I judge this world. And I'm looking forward to that day. I hope to be alive when it happens. I hope to be alive for the rapture. And God says, come on home, and we'll all be like Enoch or, well, and Elijah. I just want to leave this world. Just, I don't even want to die. I just want to leave this world. Verse 3, he, the great king, shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. This is talking about, again, just like last week's was, 
the end times. He's going to subdue all people, putting them under us and the nations under our feet. The victory that we will have when we come back with Jesus. After the rapture, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is what we go for seven years for, we come back to rule this world with Christ. Everybody under his direct authority. And remember that this, we've talked about this, Jesus rules with an iron rod during this period of time. He enforces them to obey. Even though they have a sin nature, he enforces obedience. You know, and we've talked about this. You know, we, we talk a lot about thought police, you know, and we're getting close to the people trying to pretend to be thought police. But you know, God knows your thoughts before you, before you know them. You know, when you talk about him enforcing obedience, you haven't even thought the thing, and here's the angel or whoever the enforcer is at your door. No, you're not going to do what you just thought about. <laughs> you don't think that would be me if they told me that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I would ask for the eraser. Come on, e erase the garbage that's there. I don't want it there. But you think about this. We hear people all the time talking about why does God let bad happen to good people? You know, and really, they don't understand what they're asking for. God could stop all bad things from happening. He really could. He could just say, you no longer have a choice. You are going to do what I tell you, no choice. That is not what they want. Most people want, I want choice, but nobody else is supposed to have choice. And that is really what our world is coming to. You know, what is good is whatever I say is good, and it doesn't matter what you think because I'm, I'm God. I'm the only one that counts. You know, I'm the one that's God in this instance. I'm the one that counts. You know, they're not being that blunt, but that's really what they're saying when they're told there are no absolutes except what you believe. You're God, and nobody else can argue with you, and if they defend you, it's, they're the problem. And this is where our world's headed, and this is why violence is going to continue getting worse. Because when you're taught that there's no absolute truth and that you're the standard, <laughs> I guarantee you everybody else is going, isn't going to agree that you're the standard. They may say they do, but when it comes down to the practical day-to-day -day life, you can't have a trillion people, or 3.5 trillion or whatever we're up to nowadays, all deciding that they're the standard and everybody else has to bow down to them. It's like, I always think and I pray for the people in the White House, I think, they think they're rulers. I said, you know, they're the ruler over all of them, and I wish they would all know that. And I wish they would all obey that, because the world wouldn't be like this. Mm -hmm. Well, if we followed God's wow. laws, we would be better off. And we were better off, and not that it was perfect, but we were better off when most people said God's laws are what we're going to follow. When our country was based on God's laws, when, when, when everybody may or may not agreed with Christianity, but the laws were based on God's rules, and there was a standard out there. Here's a standard, it's not our standard, it is God's standard, and people fell under his standard, things went better. But when everybody thinks they're the standard that everything has to be matched against, we've got chaos. Because one person says this is good, another person says this is good, and they're gonna get angry when they are not right. And then because we've taught them that we are evolved creatures, 
then it comes down to whoever's the strongest makes their rule over everybody else. That is what evolution is all about, the, the survival of the fittest idea. Whoever's strong, well, whatever strength yeah, might be. Yeah, yeah. It could be money, it could be yeah. military might. Hitler was acting out evolution. Mm. He truly believed that the Aryan race was the most evolved form of man. And so in his mind is, if we're the best, we need to get rid of everybody else. We need to purify the bloodline of the humans so that we can have the best go forward. Every dictator's done the same thing. Every dictator in recent time has done the same thing and for the same reasons. They have the number one best line. It's, they're the strong ones. It's their chance to rule. This is where we're headed to as we go into the time of Noah, or the days like Noah, where everybody does what's right in their own eyes and whoever's strongest gets to make their rules last. It's the point of the gang. We, we are one, we are, we are the best, we, we are the, you know, and because we're stronger, we can impose our rules on everybody else. And you define strength however you define strength, whether it's by having the best weapons, being the biggest and strongest, uh, having enough money to buy everything, whatever you want to define strength as, that's what it amounts to. And God is saying he is going to subdue all people. You know, he's going to be the one that subdues everybody, and he will do that. He will take his church out, and then the plagues hit. The plagues of Revelation. Some 66% of the population will die from those plagues. The seals. The seals, the bulls, the vials. Those plagues. Some 66% of all the population of the world will die. At the end of the tribulation, the one-third that's left, most of them will be judged because they took the mark of the beast. And they have no chance. They're, they're sent to hell, they're sent to hell to wait, wait until the judgment. The very small percentage that don't take the mark will go into the, the thousand-year reign of God where God will put everything under his feet. All will be ruled. You know what's sad when you look at people today and you wonder and you think they would never be. But I don't know that, you know, you don't know whether they would or not, but the way some of the people live, you wonder. Most of them won't. Most of them, most of them won't. And the sad thing are many that call themselves Christians are going to hear Jesus say, depart me from me, I never knew you. They'll be left behind. Because they didn't know him. They, and this is why when I, well, this morning when I asked people, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and do you have a relationship with him? That's a different thing than just saying a prayer when I was four years old and now I'm, now I'm a Christian. I didn't have no clue what I was doing, but I said a prayer. Or I said a prayer. I can't tell you how many people have come across that in their later years of life have realized that they don't know God that they never knew him. They've been in church sometime, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night, every time the doors were open, they were in the church. And then they come to the conclusion late in their life that they've never known God. They were only doing things for God. And that's a scary place to be. If all you've ever done is do things for God and you never knew him, 
See, that's what I did a lot, is I knew I was a Christian. I did things for for years, but I would say the last five years, I, like with and I, knowing him and wanting him is a big difference. Yes. And how, like I'm saying, I get excited, and I know you probably, very like that happens to you a lot, but I get so excited when things, a prayer answer, I yes. get excited, I want to tell everybody, because it just, because it's a blessing. Because I'm focused now on yeah. It's a real relationship that, that you is. have with somebody who is doing things that are for your people. And I keep, relationship. I keep thinking that people are missing this. They are. And it's hard to, it's hard to get it out for me. Yep. Because Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares, and he was basically saying there are going to be false people in, your, in every church. You know, and there are multiple, multiple parables about this whole idea that there are going to be many that don't know and, and, and look like Christians. And Jesus said, the scary thing is that Jesus said, many in that day I will declare I did not know you. Because see, even for a while, like say three or four years ago, my girlfriend was really trying to turn me over to be a second. Because she was telling me I'm doing everything wrong. I'm going to hell because I'm not doing it on Saturday. And I and I just kept saying, if it was really wrong, all these churches in this world would be doing it on Sunday. So they all can't be wrong. Which and, their attitude is that we are. she kept really trying to change me. And I didn't, I said, no. Because one time I almost did, I said, no. Yeah. Sure, I don't know that much that she did at first, you know, but I'm glad I didn't follow her. Yeah, their, their, belief, their belief really is that all the other churches are wrong and we're all going to hell because Boy, we're... She, she told me that. She but the key to this is everything about our relationship with God is by grace. It's grace. by grace. Nothing, and this is where it's so important for us to get in. We're in a relationship with God. It's a grace relationship with Him. And it's not what I do for Him that, that does me, gives me any value. You know, in some degrees, all denominations will do this if they're not careful. Uh, I'm a Baptist. I totally believe in the Baptist doctrine. But there's only one, one or two doctrines that I really care about. That is, number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Right. Anybody who's going to tell me that he's not the Son of God, they're going to have a problem. I'm going to have a problem with. And that puts me at a, at a problem with Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and a number of other cults. Okay, the next thing is that we are... All sinners design, headed for hell. Right. Okay? Because if you don't believe those two things, you've got a problem to begin with. And then Jesus died for our sins and resurrected. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot that I'm going to get excited about. Well, that the word of God is his inspired word. Yeah. Okay? Because you can't have something to tell us what it is. Outside of those things, I'm not going to get excited about what people believe because it's not that big a deal for anything outside of salvation. Uh, you know, how do we get baptized by the Holy Spirit? Well, I believe that like the Baptists do, that we're baptized the moment we're saved. We are immersed in the Holy Spirit and he changes us. And he's the one changing us because we are baptized into him. Now, how you want to get there and what, you know, how he's going to reveal himself, I'm not going to sit there and argue and fight with people. But I mean, but you see what I'm saying, though? It's just not a big enough deal for me to you know, sit there and battle with you know, our Pentecostal brothers who say that well, if you don't speak in, the Holy, you know, in, in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not what my Bible says, but I'm not going to sit there and argue with you. 
uh, you know, is Jesus, is the rapture going to happen before, before the ra- uh, tribulation, in the middle or the end? I believe it's going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation. Why? Because of a lot of different things, mostly the picture of the marriage celebration of the, of the Jewish marriage celebration. Uh, am I going to argue and fight with somebody who believes in some other, some other tribulation? No. Now, I will, discuss, I will easily discuss with somebody as long as they don't make this a hill to fight on and die on. Okay? If they get so excited that this is so important that you've got to agree with me, I'm just going to back off and say, it's not that important to me. Okay? But I like the debate. I like to talk with people about what they believe and, and you know, that is different from me because it's fun to do. But like I say, if they get on this hill and they've planted their flag that I'm going to die on this hill, this is, you've got to believe this or else I back off and say, no, I can't go there. It's not that important. Now, if you want to tell me Jesus isn't the Son of God, from a Christian point of view, I am going to fight that one tooth and nail because if he's not the Son of God, then nothing he did was worth anything. Verse 4, he shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob in whom he loved, Selah. He shall choose our inheritance for us. This takes us back to the children of Israel coming into the promised land and their land being assigned to them by lots. They drew lots and God assigned their portion of the inheritance. Millennial kingdom, we will have a share in the inheritance we will have something that we will rule over because he's going to give us an inheritance. And who knows? Who knows where we'll get to have at that time? You know, he'll, he'll make one of us in charge of an article or something. I don't know. But he's, yeah, Lynn will be there. Lynn will be in over in Antarctica with the penguins. She loves penguins, of course. So God is gone. Up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Again, this is the war cry. The God is going to come forward. The, when he returns at the end of the tribulation period, standing in the battle, and all of a sudden, all forces stop going toward Jerusalem and start attacking Jesus. It's going to be an amazing thing. You know, not, Nothing's going to get through there. I mean, he's got the... He's got the most defensive position in, in, at all, and he will destroy the enemy with a war cry. He is going to subdue the world. Satan will stop the attack on Egypt, uh, Israel and Jerusalem and change the direction of the attack. We will ride with Jesus in victory, and out of his mouth comes the destruction of the entire army of the world going against Israel. And... You know, it's kind of interesting. This is the scary thing as we look at it. Israel is getting left behind in this world. With our wonderful president making all the wrong decisions toward Israel, he is basically putting us on the wrong path with Israel and isolating Israel. Israel has to be isolated for the end times to come. And we're getting there. It's an excitement to me. It's very sad to me to see Israel being isolated. But at the same time, it's a very exciting thing for me to see because God's word is coming true. And, you know, on one, you know it's kind of a, a mixed bag. I'm excited that it's happening because it's the fulfillment of the end times. But the, the punishment that will come upon this country for, for turning against Israel, our support of Israel is probably one of the only things that has kept this country 
from totally being destroyed already. Because we've deserved destruction from all the, all the sin that we've, we've uh, allowed to hit this country. And when we turn from Israel, we're going to see the curse of God come upon this country. And it's going to be a scary time. <laughs> it's what the Bible says. I love verse 6. I love verse 6. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. Mm-hmm. It says sing praises four times in, two lines. in, in one verse. There's a principle in, the, in, in interpreting that says if, if something's repeated, really take notice of it. If God says something three times, like in Isaiah 6, where he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Mm-hmm. We have a verse that uses this, the term four times. Do you get the idea that maybe God wants us to sing praises? <laughs> you know, sing praise to him. Give him laud, exalt him, lift him up. Haven't you ever started singing the praise and worshiping him and the words aren't coming out right because you're making them up as you go and you think, Lord, couldn't you just give me a song that I do know so that I can get the words right here? I have no trouble making up my own praise songs for him. Oh, thank you. I think you did. Not a problem whatsoever. I love you. Sometimes I just love him. Make up my own own, uh, tune. I don't care. It's... He wants us to praise him. And I don't know what he wants us to do. But you know, for me, when I get into singing praise, you feel better inside. I come into a closer relationship with him. I don't know so much that the singing sing praise is for God's benefit or for our benefit. Because I get more benefit from singing his praise <coughs> than, than I can imagine he's getting from me. You know, I'm the one that starts saying, wow, this is wonderful. I'm in a relationship and I can feel his love and I can... I can look at that and say, this is wonderful. And then verse 7, For God is the king of all the earth, singing praises with understanding. I love this section. We need to think about what we are singing when we praise God. This is my problem sometimes when we sing songs that we know so well that we don't even think about what we're singing. I know what. I the last two songs that we had at church, I knew those really, really good. I forget, I forget the name of it, but I loved it. But the key is, are we singing it with, with understanding and thinking about what we're singing, or is it just, okay, we've sung this song so many times, I'm just going to sing the words, and you know, I'm no longer praying, I'm no longer praising with understanding. Because all I'm doing is mouthing words. But this whole idea that we understand what we're praising him for. Yeah. You know, and I and I know I'm guilty of it at times. That I know a song so well that I'm just singing the song mm-hmm. without really thinking about the words that I'm saying. And this is why a lot of times when we do a hymn and something just strikes me on the hymn that I'll make comment on, have you ever thought about this phrase? We sing some songs that are very powerful songs that we really Pay attention to the words. And God is saying, be singing praise with understanding. And that's why sometimes it is good just to do my own words to whatever song because I am praising God with understanding because I'm the one putting the words in it. I love the one, the one song I can't, 
And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm in his own. Yep. That my mom in, always in the, in the garden. In the yeah. garden. How like how great they are. Oh yeah, I love that one too. The, the, and when I see the you know, I just yep. when I sing that song. But the idea is Sing with understanding. <coughs> know what it is we're trying to say. Know what it is that God is saying. Because some of the choruses are, that we sing have great song meaning into them. Some of the choruses are worthless. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's the same thing with the hymns. Some of the hymns are wonderful songs that have great depth and meaning. Some of them are worthless. Because they don't have God's doctrine in them they're just they're wonderful songs i'm not saying there's anything wrong with them but you know you you know and this is my problem with a lot of the current songs is you know they talk about and as long as you put them in a church environment you figure they're talking about jesus but it could just as easily be your boyfriend or your girlfriend mm -hmm. that you're singing this song to you know because they're they have no depth or value in them you know and we want to be careful singing with understanding and knowing what we're doing and what we're saying very important. Verse 8, God reigneth over the heathen. He sits on the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. God is going to rule. And these are, these are real strong uh, military terms that he's bringing up. He is going to rule. He's, he has all the shields, all the military, all the powers belong to him. And this is something we've got to be very understanding of. God allows things to happen. God even uses evil people to bring about what he wants to have happen. When Israel sinned against God, in idolatry and would not turn, would not turn back to him, he sent the Assyrians in to destroy them and conquer them. Judah would not turn after, after a while, and he sent the Babylonians in to take them into captivity. And then they, then they got so bad, you know, they mm -hmm. cried out to God and then he delivered them. Yep. So you know they're right back in captivity. And they cry out again, yeah. But, but you know what amazes me is Samson. <laughs> when he told a lie about his strength and then told the truth. Now, didn't you, wouldn't you think he would have woke up? Or, mm -hmm. yes. Well, everything about, everything about Samson was one of those things because he didn't even really understand his strength either. He thought it was all in his hair and it had nothing really to do with his hair. It had to do with the fact that he was set aside for God. And uh, he was set aside for God, and he was supposed to be a Levite. He wasn't supposed to touch dead things. He wasn't supposed, he wasn't supposed to touch women or care, go around with women. He was not to cut his hair. He had a vow before God before birth. He was not to drink wine or touch anything with, that was made out of grapes. Uh, and he violated every one of those standards except cutting his hair. Then uh, when he got the last principle taken from him, then God took his strength. You know, and I think God took his strength because he didn't understand what his strength was anyway. And then you think about his prayer in the temple of Dog, I think it was, and he said, 
give me strength one last time. He finally he realized, he yeah. finally realized what his strength was. And he said, give me one last time so that I can destroy. And he killed more people on his, on his, yeah. at his death than he had all his life. You can't even <laughs> ask a man to have a stroke. You can't even pick up that can without God's help. And ask somebody that's got a shaking problem, you can't use it without God's help. Not allegedly. <laughs> But this is the key, and Samson is a good example of the key of this. Everything that, our, that we have strength in is from God. Mm -hmm. If it has any eternal value, it must be because of God. Yes. And this is why we have to be so careful that we are always doing things that, that through God and not through my own strength. I am absolutely sure that so many people that have served God all their life doing things Maybe they even have the right attitude. They want to do something for God, but they don't have God in it. There won't be any reward for it. And the ones that are in most danger are people like myself, who's a pastor. I've got to get up every time I'm scheduled to teach and teach. Whether I am doing it through God or not is another story altogether. And I shared this with one of the, a pastor here recently, and he looked at me with shock in his eyes because he realized the truth of what I was saying. That there's so much that we're not going to get rewarded for because it was, not, it was done in our own strength. It was done because I went to classes and learned how to study the Word of God and speak. And there's a big difference between doing that with God being the one speaking and doing that in my own strength. And it's a scary thing for those of us who can do it in our own strength. Because I know there are times when I've taught the Word of God without God being part of the Word, part of that message. Now does that mean nobody's benefited from it? No, that means other people may have benefited from it. I haven't benefited from those times. When God throws the works in the fire at the judgment seat, he's going to say, well, here's your block of wood that burned up. It was good. It was solid. It was, it was you know, of some value to somebody, but it's wood and it'll burn. And, I, and it's one of the things I've seen. When we sit at the beam of seat of Christ and he throws our, our works into the fire, wood, hay, and stubble. Stubble's worthless. We all know that stubble's worthless. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't use stubble for anything. <clears throat> hay has value. Some. It feeds animals. It, it makes bricks. I mean, it has some value. What's stubble? Stubble is your... your Will you put hay or anything? It's the leftovers. It's the... Uh, it's, if you, it would be like sawdust, uh, sawdust on wood. It's just, it's, it's totally worthless. Then you have blocks of wood which you build houses with, you can do things with. All of that is human effort done in the flesh. But Jesus said that only the gold, silver, and precious stones will go through. And those are the times when we let God work through us. You know? And it's not saying that somebody didn't get value. You know? Somebody, when you gave something that was wood, may have gotten a lot of value out of it. For them, it's a great blessing. But for you, it was done in the flesh. But sinners will stand before Christ. Who sinners don't sinners. stand before Christ. Okay. They stand before the white throne judgment. Right. And say, but I led so-and-so to you, and I, I led these people to you, and 
Jesus, when, but I do not. Yeah. don't know you. At the white throne judgment, there is only one question. What did you do with Jesus? What or what? What did you do with my son? And if you're standing in front of the white throne judgment, you didn't accept him. If you're standing at the white throne judgment, you are guilty because Jesus will take us to the Bema seat during the seven-year celebration, sometime in that seven-year celebration, and we will get our rewards. So when you believe in Jesus and God, then you don't go through the white thing you're saying. You won't go through the white throne judgment because you are glorified at your yeah. death. The only ones that will stand at the white throne judgment is when they don't believe in are, are ones that have rejected Jesus. And that is a, you know... That is, there's no, there's no hope there because, it, because God will show them every time they rejected Him. They won't have, they won't even be able to say, but. Yeah, because some people will say, well, I believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus, and I'm thinking, how can that be? Well, what's the wrong? It's not going to work. I know it's not going to work. And it, even just believing in Jesus yeah. isn't going to work. No. Because James says the devil believes and tremble. and tremble. They believe, and they're not going to be saved. It is having that personal relationship with Christ. I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I want you to come into. I need you to come in. Jesus paid me my debt. I want you to come in. That personal relationship, where we become baptized in the Holy Spirit, which we talked about this on the who we are in Christ. We become baptized. We are immersed in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit makes a permanent change in who we are. We become immersed in Jesus Christ. We are clothed in Christ. Paul, is one of his favorite term, terminologies was to be in Christ. We are submerged in Christ. He makes a permanent change in our life. We are born again. We are made into a brand new life that God is going to guide into living. In Corinthians, we're told that we are a new creation in Christ. Again, I have nothing to do with it. It is God who makes the change. In Romans 12, 2, I be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed is metamorphoso, which means we get the word metamorphosis. It's the idea of the caterpillar going into his cocoon and coming out as a butterfly. What did the caterpillar do to become a cat butterfly? Well, he accepted that he needed to go into a cocoon. And after that, it was God who made the change in his life. We become Christians by the same type of mentality. We get in Christ. We get into that cocoon. He makes us something different, totally different. And it's not me who does it. I do not make myself different. I don't work real hard. I don't strive real hard to say, oh, I've got to change. I've got to become this butterfly. God melts the caterpillar into an icky goo and makes a butterfly. He puts us into the Holy Spirit just and he baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That baptism of the, the vegetables into the vinegar where they're submerged for some period of time, changes the, changes the vegetable into a pickle. Okay, Does it have some flavor of the vegetable? Yes, but it is totally different. That's when I just made pickled cucumbers. We're baptized so, into the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So everything becomes nothing that I do, everything that God does. I have a, a question. When Jesus... 
came to the man in the tombs, you know, and ran all the devils out of him. When they asked him, don't send us to the deep, what were they talking about? Not to be sent to hell yeah, until the judgment day. That's what I thought. Yeah. Because they were saying, don't, you know, you're here, you're here too early. You're not supposed to be sending us. Because at the end of the at the end of the tribulation period, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and not just Satan, but all of his demons will be bound for a thousand years. And that's what they were referring to. You're here too early. This isn't this isn't your return yet. You're not you're not you're not ruling, so don't yep, send us don't saying, send us. We know who you are. Yeah, oh yeah, they know who he was. And no question they, about that. They knew who he was. They knew he was early, but they still also knew he had the ability and control to send them to hell right yeah. then because they asked him not to. Yeah. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you're teaching us and helping us. We ask that you go with us and guide us and lead us in all that we do. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.